0: With you. Let us pray together the collect of the day. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase in all. That with you, God, we may pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.
1: The first reading is from Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord... Beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all. And in all, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. The word of the Lord.
2: Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountaintop to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, He came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid.' Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: In prayer. Today's reading, uh, the first reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is focused on the church. And before we actually focus on that reading, I have a question for you. If you were to hear the word church and you were to describe what you think the church is supposed to be, either in your mind or whether you think you have the understanding of what you think God's intention for the church is, how would you describe it? Just get a a thought or an image in your mind. What do you think the church is supposed to be? You know, I'll bet if we went around this room right now and got different people's thoughts on what the church is supposed to be, we would get quite a variety of answers. Take it beyond... This room. Take it out to the streets, to even the culture, people who aren't involved in church. And you would get a variety of answers as to what the church is supposed to be. You might get the answer, it's a place to worship. You might get an answer, the church is St. Luke's, the building. Which, you know, if you remember as a child, that's kind of the mindset that we have. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, you see all the people, right? It's the building. When really the church is the people. You might get a sense that church is the place where you're supposed to grow in values or morality or become a good person. You might get the idea the church is a place where it's supposed to be short. <laughs> Not true. You might have all kinds of different ideas and input and thoughts as to what the church is or should be. But really, when you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, you have this wonderful picture as to Paul writing what the church is, what the church should be. The first picture we have of the church post-resurrection, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, comes from Acts chapter 2. That's the first wonderful picture we have of the church. And the description is... And they continued in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, growing in the knowledge and love of God through his word and fellowship, staying connected to each other, studying together, encouraging one another, building each other up. Prayers, they prayed together with and for one another. Breaking bread, sharing holy communion eating together, sharing together. And if you go on just a a verse or two more, and God did many mighty acts amongst them, miracles, works of power. And then verse 47 in Acts chapter 2, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was on the move. People were witnessing, reaching out, touching the lives of others. That's the picture of the early church. In another place you see a picture of the church. 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, where Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit and we're knit together as a body. And, verse, and chapter 14 also talks about how we are connected, working together as a body. No one looks down on one another. We all have different functions and roles that we complement one another. That no one's better than anybody else. And right in between those two chapters, you have 1 Corinthians 13. What's known as the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful. It's not rude. A passage that isn't just about marriage. It's about how we are meant to be as Christians with one another, loving one another. And really, in many ways... Those two passages, Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, in many ways come together in this passage in Ephesians 4 to describe in a wonderful way a picture of the church and how the church is intended by God to be. And your understanding first and foremost of who God is And who Jesus Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit operates in the church will inform what you think the church is meant to be when you approach this passage. And there's a wonderful book that I, from time to time, just pull out and think about when I think about who God is. And I bring it up to all of you. And it's entitled, Your God is Too Small. Because so many people have an image of God that limits their understanding as to who God is and what God's desire is for our lives and what that means in terms of the church. All of us in community, in operation together as God's people for the sake of one another, for the sake of impacting the world. And let me just read to you some of the titles of some of his chapters that are misconceptions of who God is. Some of these I grew up with before I came to an understanding of who God is, who Jesus is from the Word of God. The first is resident policeman. A lot of us think of God as that type of God. Parental hangover, grand old man, you know, picturing God up there with that long white beard. Meek and mild, absolute perfection, which is what he would demand of us. Heavenly bosom, translation of that one might be sugar daddy or Santa Claus. God in a box. We all want to put God in a box so that he's basically innocuous. He's just up there doing his thing. As long as he doesn't interfere with me. Uh, Perennial grievance. Oh, here's a good one. Pale Galilean. You know, we get that picture from all the movies. Projected image. God is just like me. Just happens to be up there. Compliments everything about who I am. How convenient. What's your image of God? Because that will influence What you perceive the church to be. Is it really just all about morality? Character development? Values? Being good? A place to come and feel good or worship once in a while? Is that really the picture that God has portrayed in His Word about what the church is or what it's intended to be? Is that the picture that Jesus portrayed with the apostles when He walked the face of the earth? Or is it more than that? See, because your understanding of God first and then your understanding of His picture and desire of the church is going to influence how you operate in the church. Let's take Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, and let's start a little earlier on, earlier in the letter. Because Ephesians is a wonderful, wonderful letter in so many ways. It starts off in chapter 1, an effusive letter, an effusive letter. Praise of the Lord and praise of the church at Ephesus. It's a wonderful church and you almost have to go back to the book of Acts to see how it began. It was in a riot. That's how it began. And then the church was established there and Paul begins just in a wonderful fashion. And then you get to Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9. Two verses that I memorized early in my walk because... The mentality of those two verses had such an impact on me because I was earning my way to heaven before that. And Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, not because of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. It's by grace. That's how we're saved. That Jesus went to the cross to die in your place for your sin that God offers to you as a gift and you receive. That's what I needed to hear. And then we jump forward to chapter 4. And Paul writes, Lead a life worthy to the calling to which you've been called. Lead a life worthy to the calling to which you've been called. You know, what's interesting is that, unfortunately... That can be misconstrued and misunderstood. Because later on, when John writes the book of Revelation, approximately 50 years later, they misconstrued that understanding because what John writes, he says, you've held to the faith, you've done great, but you've lost your first love. See, how people can read that passage, lead a life worthy, is they can get so fixated on being moral or being legalistic. That they can lose sight of the love. And if you read Ephesians 4, Paul in no way loses sight of the love. That word love is woven throughout Ephesians chapter 4. You can't miss it. So when you read this word, worthy. Yes. Holiness is a part of it because God is holy. The book of Leviticus God says at least four times, be holy for I am holy. Set apart by him for him. That we are called to be holy. A worthy life. But if you look how Paul describes that holy life. He says, gentle, patient, forgiving Bearing with one another. Does that sound moralistic? That sounds loving to me. I mean, bearing with one another? You know what I mean? We live in a day and age where people don't like to bear with one another. They like to write each other off. Look at our culture. We as the church are called to be different. We're called to be a forgiving people. We're called to be a people who bear with one another. We're called to be a people who are gentle. Who are patient. How many people here are patient naturally? I am not. I have a confession. And what is the first definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13? Anybody? Love is patient. Right. Why? Because it's so hard. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or rude. See, love is essential to who we are as God's holy people. And so when Paul writes that we are meant to be worthy. Live a life worthy to the calling to which you've been called. It has this element of holiness and it has this element of love. And the word that's woven in there is humble. That's what's underneath it all. We have to empty ourselves to be filled by His Spirit in order to live that worthy life. You can't do this yourself. Humble comes from the word hummus, which is about dirt. Rich dirt. That's what we are rich dirt. With that seed of the gospel planted, with deep roots by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God then springs us up and produces His fruit of the Spirit. That's what He wants for us. The fruit that's connected to love. And then He weaves this one phrase in there, in the bond of peace. The bond of peace. You know, those kind of relationships, that takes work. We live in such a conflicted age. God wants us to live with that bond of peace where we bear with one another, where we forgive one another, where we love one another. Not easy. That's why it's by his grace. And you know what? That will work in marriages. That will work in families. That will work in a church. And that will work in a community. If we learn how to operate that way. And that's why the church needs to be the microcosm of that. That can then overflow into the community. So Paul then uses this word unity, unity. And you see this word thrown in over and over again. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's a throwback to Jesus' final prayer in the upper room before he goes out into the garden. And then faces his passion and the cross. What did he pray for? That we would be one. Based on what? One hope. Salvation. The cross and the resurrection. One Lord. Him. Not just our Savior. But our Lord where we submit to Him. To Him alone. One faith. We trust Him alone. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. One faith. One baptism. That's how unity is found. People are seeking unity today. And the way that it comes is by transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to model that. The oneness that Jesus prayed. The oneness that Jesus was working towards. We see in John 17 that it begins in the church. That it begins through him. And that what we have is a gift. It's not something that we do. It's something that he does. Working in us. By grace. That's what. Grace is is a gift. It comes first by the cross and and then by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And oh, by the way, how that happens is the next part of the reading. That we all have been given gifts. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit working in you. If you have the Holy Spirit working in you, then you have been given at least one gift of the Spirit. Guess what that means? You need to be connected and involved. This is not an option. Some of you are thinking, well, maybe other people. No. You need to read 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14, and you need to read Ephesians 4 again. It says, some are apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And what are those people to do? They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That means the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? They are not dead people in heaven. Saints are believers in Jesus Christ. That would be you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ sitting in the pew right now. If that is you, that means that you are to be equipped for what? Work. That means you're not to be a pew potato. God is calling you to do something. What does what happens then? That means that you're connected As a part of the body of Christ, connected to each other and working for the sake of his kingdom. Guess what happens then? You build relationships. And what happens then is the body of Christ is so much more effective. And then it overflows out into the community. And then it's that picture of Acts chapter 2. The Lord does incredible things. And the Lord adds to the numbers because the church is functioning effectively. See so many people have this idea that the church is a place to come and punch the clock once in a while. Or the places the, the church is some place where I come and I spend an hour once a week. Huh? Not here. The reality, is the church is meant to be a place that you are connected. That you grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord and learn to share that love. That you exercise the gift that God has given you to build up the body. To be blessed and be a blessing to others so that we might grow individually, corporately, and out into the community. That's the picture of the church. And oh, by the way, if you want to see it in action, Jesus went out and got 12. And in a short period of time, sent them out. And then eventually, he got 72. And then he sent 72 out in just a few months' time. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know everything. They didn't have all the equipment. They did ministry. And then just a few days after Pentecost, you see the church in operation doing incredible things. Why? Because love for them wasn't just a feeling. Love for them was based on the cross of Jesus Christ. Love for them was based on the life of Jesus Christ. Love for them was commitment and sacrifice and body life and grace. That's the church. That's the church. the first thing is getting connected to Jesus Christ. See, because if you're not, you will never understand the church. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you will never understand the church. He's got to be your Savior. And He's got to be your Lord. Where you empty yourself and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you really understand the church. It's the re- the only way you're really connected to Him. And that you'll get connected and understand the church as a body. You know, I encourage you. For some of you, this is going to be a new challenge. I encourage you... To read 1st Corinthians 12 through 14. I encourage you to read Ephesians four, both of those in the next few days. And if you don't have a readable Bible, get a readable Bible. You know, earlier I referred to J.B. Phillips. Who wrote your God is too small. Let me tell you about J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips first started writing in World War Two. Let me tell you what he wrote first. He wrote a translation of the New Testament. He wrote it because during World War II, young people were struggling. They were struggling because World War II, they were shaken to their core in their faith. Because after World War I, they thought that was the war to end all wars. And then World War II came along. So they were struggling, and so they turned to the Scriptures for answers about God and about faith and the questions they were going through. But the Bible they had to read was the King James Version. And so J.B. Phillips went out, and he wrote a Bible that was readable for young people. Much like in our day, one of the versions that a lot of people go to is the message. Eugene Peterson did the same thing. In my day... Back in the early 70s, when I first started reading the Bible, I read Good News for Modern Man, which was a wonderful translation for somebody who really didn't read that much, which I didn't back in the early 70s. Get a readable Bible and read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and read Ephesians 4 and pray about your understanding of the church. And what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you're still wrestling, come to the Discovery class. We talk about what it means to be part of the church. And getting connected. There's lots of ways to get connected. And if you're not a member of this church, get connected to a church where the Word of God is preached and taught. So that you can be a part of the church God's way. So that you can be blessed and be a blessing. I want to close by pointing out in the gospel reading. When the apostles were trying to cross the sea in a storm. And trying to do it on their own. They couldn't. When Jesus showed up and he brought his power and his authority to bear, is when they knew that he was Lord and they had peace. He's the only one, he's the only one that can bring the bond of peace. They can bring the grace that helps the church to be the church his way. Let's pray. Lord God, so many people today in the church are children tossed to and fro. Because they're not sure what they believe about you, about the church. Lord, help us to be clear about who you are and who you are in Jesus Christ, that you came to be our Savior and our Lord. that you came to make us a part of your church, your way. Lord, I pray that everyone here would have an open mind and an open heart to the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would come to that knowledge and love of you so much so that they would seek to be connected to you and to your church active and alive to seek to grow more and more in the knowledge and love of you and to seek to bear their gift for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, help us to be your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.